Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue studying the Great Commission, today we will see that Jesus' authority in heaven and on earth is now connected to our obedience to him to make disciples. We will see that Jesus himself helps the first disciples along with us by modeling for us the process of disciple making. Thanks for listening today as we learn about the ins and the outs of allowing our lives to be repurposed for God's mission through love and self-sacrifice to make disciples. Well, this past week, my wife has convinced me once again to serve as the coach for my daughter's Gus Macker team. Yes. Uh, the problem with Gus Macker, I was talking to Chris Kuzak about this this week. He, he, when he was younger, he used to officiate. And he said, you know what the problem is with Gus Macker? Not the kids. It's not the players. No, you know what? Yeah, it's the parents. It's them spectators. And so, yes, once more as the coach, I'm going to go into the lion's den. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> It, it's really not that big of a sacrifice. The work of a sermon has to build it up a little bit uh, hype here. But I will say this. It, it requires some sacrifice on my part. So this week I was working at my desk. And one of the goals that we have for Sadie is that she would make 50 shots. Well, that got lowered down to 30 because, you know, let's be reasonable. Um, and she says, Dad, will you help me to shoot? Oh, and I'm in the middle. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's go out and shoot. And there's something that's just redeeming in the heart of a parent when they're able to set aside their own agenda for the sake of their children. But it's really hard to do. It's really hard to take a time out in the workflow that I was in. I was in a, right, right in the middle of it to stop what I'm doing and go out there. And, but it was great. We went out there and we started to work on our shot. And we started to work on all kinds of things. Dribbling skills and fundamentals. And here's what I found. You don't become a good basketball player unless you what? Practice. Unless you practice. That's it. In fact, you don't become a godly Christian unless you practice. But it doesn't just take practice. Do you know what it also takes? It takes some coaching. Funny thing that I realized as I was out there with Sadie is that I started to say the same things my dad used to say to me when I convinced him to come out onto the driveway and shoot buckets with me. Like, keep your elbow down. Um, follow through. Put some arc on the ball. Uh, don't shoot with both hands. Make sure you follow through. My dad said those exact same things to me. And now here I am passing them on an effort to make a new generation of those who play the sport. Same is true for you as a Christian. Same is true for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. None of us here invented the Christian life. All of us are only repeating that which has been entrusted to us. That you and I would learn to sacrifice our own agenda, our own plan, our own work schedule, so that we might invest it into those who are becoming disciples of our Savior. And so this is what we're studying we're looking into Jesus' final words with his disciples before he ascends back onto the Father and then sends the empowering work of the Holy Spirit for the lives, the empowering person of the Holy Spirit for the lives of those who will serve as his witnesses 
What does he leave them with? And so for, for you and I today, it's found in the end of Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. We're going to be here for uh, each of the weeks studying each continuing clause or s- structural statement within what has been historically referred to as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, reading in verse 19. Everybody with me? Say amen if you're with me. All right, here we go. One verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's just tuck 20 in there as well. It says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For the disciples... This commission is going to require from them sacrifice. It's going to require intentionality. It's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to accidentally make a disciple of Jesus. You have, you have to choose to follow in Jesus' command. And then perhaps most of all for our study and application today, this is going to be facilitated through their modeling of what a disciple looks like. You know, that's the same way it works for you as parents and grandparents. There's no version of passing on the values that you carry by telling your children, do what I say, but not what I do. Do you know that they're watching your actions and your behavior? Do you know that you are modeling? Do you know that you're, a, you're making disciples, whether you know it or not? Because they will learn to say the words that you say, to react the way that you react. I can remember it wasn't too long ago, somebody looked at my son who was walking at a distance and they thought it was me because he kind of walked the same way I walk. I don't even know, remember teaching him that. They said, he looks like a little you. Which, when I'm operating in the spirit, that's a blessing to me. But boy, do I need the refreshing reminder that I as well have to keep submitting to God's spirit. Otherwise, you know what you and I will pass on to those? We'll pass on... Worldly thinking or the flesh or bad habits or words. And so for our study this morning, we're going to try to unpack this. And I want to begin with a couple just observations from this text. You may recall last week, we looked at what word in this passage? What word? Go. Go. And what did we discover? Go is a command. Even though it's listed as a Greek participle, it's called an attendant circumstantial participle, which means it hangs on piggyback to the main verb. And what's the main verb here? Well, that's our first observation. Making disciples is the main verb. In Greek, it's called an aorist active imperative. An imperative. It's hard to miss the understanding of what that means. It means this this is not optional. This is not something that you and I get to choose to do if we feel like getting to it. No, this is the command that comes right from the top down. There's uh, one commentary I was reading that uh, explained it in these ways. It says, the emphasis in the commission thus falls not in the initial proclamation of the gospel, which, by the way, we find in other passages where the same imperative verb is used. It has more to do with uh, the work of proclaiming, evangelizing, preaching, which is part of it. But here the context helps us to see that this, and the commentator says, has more to do with the arduous task of nurturing them into the experience of discipleship. Arduous. 
Aren't you glad you came to church today? Oh boy, here we go. Preachers talking about making disciples again. There's another commentary that um, referenced something that Jesus says earlier in Matthew's gospel that I think gives it just a little bit of a better picture. This commentator says that the treasure that he has gained is like the treasure he passes out to others by looking back at what Jesus says to the disciples in chapter 13. Look at this. Jesus said, Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. Just think about that for a moment, right? So you, you become a disciple in God's kingdom. You, by the way, disciple means learner. That's what the word means. It means pupil, student, follower. That's, that's what a disciple is. And then he's teaching others. Jesus here is looking to those who are going to follow him and then teach others. What is that person like? Look what Jesus says. He's like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as the old. Now that's kind of lost on us a little bit, only because we kind of don't live in that same culture. But here's what he means. If you become a disciple maker, somebody who's teaching as one who also follows Jesus yourself. You know what that's like? That's like talking about the treasure that you've received and bringing that treasure to share with everyone else. That's not arduous. That's not hard. I remember when I was in kindergarten, we had a show and tell. You guys remember what show and tell was like? Now, who thinks I talked a long time for show and tell? Of course I did. But I remember being a little kid, and maybe you see this in the nature of little children. When they have something that they're excited about, can you shut them up? No. They're so excited about it. That's the picture that that Matthew is wanting us to understand in Jesus' words. It's like one who has gained a treasure and then passes that treasure out to others. I remember when I was was young, I went to... um, Bible camp in the summer. This was over at Fortune Lake. And the particular age bracket that I got to be in allowed me to be part of a a more elite group of camper. We were called the Vagabonds. (laughs) And all that meant is we slept out in a tent. That's what that meant. Probably a cheaper way for the camp to have more campers is the way I understand it now as an adult. But as a kid, man, that was awesome to be a Vagabond. And we had a, a night hike. And I can remember our leader, um, he had all of us campers there together, and he, he said, all right, I need one of you to hold the flashlight. Ryan, I'm going to pick you. And he let me hold the flashlight. Now, I wasn't as disciplined back then. <laughs> and so a flashlight in the hands of a middle schooler is also a lightsaber. Did you know that? <laughs> With a little bit of encouragement from my leader, I was reminded that the reason why I was given that was so that I would use it to illumine the way for everybody else. And that I took pride in. I took a sense of like importance with that. That was my job. Church, God has chosen you. He, he has chosen you. He has given you the flashlight of the gospel. Not so that you take it and use it to shine around at the stars and the trees, but so that you use it to illumine the path for all those around you. And when you do... There's this sense of like, yeah, he chose me for this task because he loves me and I'm responsible for this. 
I want you to see that all of that is wrapped up into this very first observation. When Jesus says go, that go is dependent upon this main verb. Because your job, my job is to make disciples. So what are disciples? Well, the text helps, helps us with this. I, w- I want to give you the most foundational understanding of a disciple from the text. Now, the word disciple, uh, matheteu, means learner. It means pupil. It means student. It means follower. Everybody gets the picture of the definition of the word. But what does it mean in this context? Back up with me a little bit in our uh, passage in chapter 20 to verse 16. Matthew records, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Now we address the end of this verse in 17 where some doubted by understanding that this doubt is a function of their own failure to which Jesus answers with, doesn't depend on you, depends on me, Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, therefore go make disciples. So the, the doubt here is answered there, but we can't just skip to the doubt by jumping over what they're doing. What are they doing on this mountain? First of all, they're obeying Jesus to go where he told them to go. When they get there, they find who's already there. Jesus is there. And when they see him, they worship him. Now, we're not given any more details on that. I'm not sure what that moment looked like. I know what worship means. I know what worship means in the context of the New Testament and Matthew's gospel. I want to emphasize to you that it's only disciples who worship Jesus. You ever think about that? It's only disciples who worship Jesus. In fact, what were these 11 dudes doing before they met Jesus? What were they doing? They were busy at work. right? They were earning a living. They, in many ways, if they were following the Jewish pressure at that time, were trying their darndest to please God. And listen to those who said, you need to be as righteous as the scribes and Pharisees. That's what they were doing. But after they met Jesus, they were transformed. Now their behavior looks totally different. They now do something they would have never done three years earlier. When they see him, they worship him. And so I want to make sure that we don't skip over this, that we we miss this recognition. That what is the, the contextual observation of a disciple? A disciple is one who worships Jesus. Now, just to give a time out on this, there's so much more. That's going to need to be said on that. Because unfortunately, we live 2,000 years past that moment. If you were there then, you would have easily understood the Jesus that we're talking about. You would have even understood it in the immediate context of Judas's confusion. right? Because Judas, even though he walked and talked with Jesus, had a completely different idea of who Jesus was. There's a lot of people today who have a completely wrong understanding of who Jesus is. And so, just without having to unpack this more... This morning, we're going to deal with it in two more Sundays because you need to worship the true Jesus. And that's part of what makes a disciple. All right, thirdly, for observations, making disciples is on-the-job training, right? Verse 19 says, therefore, uh, go to seminary, make sure you graduate with honors, do an internship at the biggest church in your town, uh, make sure that you get an appointment with the pastor and he can write you a letter of recommendation. And then you need to get ordained. 
And then after that, you need to make sure that you have followed through with so many funerals, weddings, and baptisms, and maybe we'll let you make it. Is that what it says? He says, go do what I've been doing. Go make disciples. Now, I fully expect that for the majority of us here, you think that that's my job and not yours. Here's what I want you to know. You, through the empowerment of the person of the Holy Spirit, have all you need to obey Jesus. You have all you need. This this is given to the same individuals who feel the same way many of you feel. I don't know how to do this. I don't even know where to begin. That's why we hired you. <laughs> right? Many, many of them still doubting. What I want you to know is Jesus doesn't wait for graduation. Jesus doesn't wait for a diploma on the wall. Jesus doesn't have a ceremony or certification or a final exam. Here's what it means. You are to be making disciples and God by his design is going to use that process as an instrument of growing and developing you. Because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is not a graduate. A disciple is a worshiper. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is not somebody who has reached the pinnacle of achievement within the Christian faith. So whatever this means, it requires that the disciples are going to be continuing their training while they're making disciples. Does that make sense? You guys know what on-the-job training is? That's when they're paying you to do the job that you don't even know how to do. (laughs) But you're going to figure it out. You're going to learn. Who's going to help you? Look around. You're going to, through God's leading, you're going to encourage one another. If you want to, by the way, it kind of depends on that. Are you willing? Sort of that's the end of this whole sermon. Like either you're willing or you're not. But if you are, you're going to find that looking at the folks around you who are trying to do the same thing is going to teach you a lot of information on what to do and what not to do. In fact, the Holy Spirit through you by his leading of his word is going to work out the task of making disciples in your own life. For you will be modeling it without even knowing it when you put Jesus first in your life. It's on-the-job training. But here's what that requires. Three things that I wrote down. On-the-job training requires, number one, faith. Faith. Faith is not something that's invisible. Faith is demonstrated. Right? Faith is something that you see lived out in a person's life. How do you know what they believe? Because I see their faith. So the disciples could have, you know, gone back after Jesus ascends and said, let's, let's just ask Peter to do all this because Peter's the guy. Right? They, they could have just said, no, we're going to go back to what we're doing. Or they could trust. And in their trust, they could go. And in their trust, they could share the message. And through the person of the Spirit... They can trust to be witnesses of what has happened to them. But it requires that. If you're going to do on-the-job training, by the way, this is true regardless of we're talking about making disciples. If, if you're in a job that also has on-the-job training, you're going to have to do it without even feeling confident to do it. That's called, what's that called? It's called faith. Uh, secondly, it's going to require sacrifice. Uh, this is not a hobby. <laughs> this is not a pastime. This is not like golf. (laughs) This is who you are now. 
You are now somebody who does the things that Jesus modeled for you to do. Jesus made disciples by spending time with the disciples and teaching them what God had said to Jesus to teach. And so you're going to have to change your life around a little bit to do this right. That's a little uncomfortable for church, isn't it? Right? You're, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in your life. You're not going to be able to sit at your desk and say, Sadie, go make 50 baskets. You're not going to be able to check out and say, read your Bible. That'll, that'll fix it. You're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to form relationships. And you're going to have to surrender some of your time and agenda if you're going to obey Jesus to make disciples because it's on the job training a uh, third thing that I, I wrote down is, is it also requires teachability so anybody who's on the job training themselves are going to have to be learners so it blesses my heart when we when we turn to a passage and i hear your bible the pages of your bible turning it blesses my heart as a teacher when i see one of the observations from the text on the screen and you record it and write it down that hopefully is communicating to me that you're just not here to meet some checked box of obligation that was passed on to you by some false concept of church but that you're here to learn because it's only disciples who worship it's only disciples who are learners, which requires on-the-job training to have those who are teachable. Hopefully that's you. If you are the type of person that says, eh, I can't teach an old dog new trick, yeah, whatever. Nice excuse that's preventing you from having any skin in the game. Or if that's you saying, ah, pastor, I get it. I, I know, I get the Bible, but you just don't know my schedule. I'm slammed this week. I got too much going on. Convenient. Excuse. None of that's going to fly. Imagine if the disciples there told Jesus that. He's already covered that with some previous followers, and we won't turn there now, but he said, look, you're, if you're not going to follow after me, uh, you need to know that I, I don't have any place to lay my head. Right? Nobody who sets his hand to the plow and then is like, oh, I'll be right back. He's fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so, are you ready to learn? Because this is on-the-job training. A few conclusions that I want us to draw from this First, building off of this idea of the command is that disciple-making is an act of obedience and it's done by disciples. Disciple-making is by faith an act of obedience. And it's only disciples who make disciples. Which means if you're not making disciples, you might not be a disciple. Again, Remember, this doesn't rely and depend on you. God will help you with this. Because you, as a disciple, will not have anything to pass on unless you have previously been taught by someone else. Does this make sense? Right? There's a whole story of it. I have nothing to tell Sadie on the basketball court about shooting unless I myself have been a pupil under someone else's tutelage to say, make sure you follow through when you shoot. Oh, yeah. And then it was practice of that that taught me that works. And so because I was taught, I can pass that on to others. When we were in the Bahamas, um, one of the things that some teams would try to do is open coconuts. Do you guys know how hard it is to open a coconut? Yeah. But God really made those things tough to open. And I don't mean the kind you have at the store that are already, already uh, shocked. I mean the big dream ones. Well, when we were there, I taught Micah how to open coconuts and uh, here's a couple of pictures of them and every time we go back do you know what we do 
We go to this one place where we know we can find coconuts, and I don't have to show him at all. In fact, I can remember when he was about this age, he takes after his dad a little bit with wanting to teach people. He had all of his little friends around, and he had them all out there banging coconuts on rocks, showing them how to open a coconut. Now, was he born with that information? No, he, he, was, he was taught that information. And because he had first learned it, he therefore was able to pass it on. I want you to know that making disciples, it's an act of obedience by disciples. My hope and my prayer is for you that that's who you are. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for, for me to obey him from this text, the conclusion teaches me that's an act that I need to accomplish. Second, disciple making is an act of love done by worshipers. Now, this takes a little bit of effort to see because you remember, remember Jesus is talking about on-the-job training. The only reference point that the disciples have for making disciples, the only reference point that they have to make sense of what Jesus is saying is Jesus. Well, what, what did Jesus do for them? How, how did Jesus show them? I have this uh, great passage here, John 13. Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Peter was there because in Peter's epistle, he writes this to the church. Now that you've been purified by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. From the heart. Where, where did Peter get that idea from? He got it from Jesus. And so what this means for you and I is that disciple making should not be like this begrudging, fine, if I have to, I'd rather do. No, d- disciple making needs to follow in that same scope of my spirit that I found when I put my own agenda aside and I went out to spend time with Sadie that I actually thrived in my soul because it was done out of act of love. This is true for all of us. And the key here is a worshiper. Hopefully that's you. Hopefully you are a worshiper of God. Because if you are, you will see this not as an arduous task of making disciples, but rather an act of love. Thirdly, disciple making is an act of modeling. And it's done by non-professionals. We, we saw that already with the on-the-job training nature of Jesus' imperatival command. In fact, if you looked at the context a little bit more, you see they were already doing this. Jesus said, go to the mountain. That's verse 16. And so what did the disciples do? They went. And do you know who was already there? Jesus. Jesus is never going to ask of you something that he has not already done. Jesus leads by example for you and I and then empowers you by his spirit to do the task of making disciples. However, I want to highlight on a really important idea here. We have been swept up in a Christian culture that has created this false distinction that's right here where the railing is. You see, on this side of the railing is clergy. And that side is laity. Show me in here where that is. There, there, there is no biblical warranted foundation for this division. 
that says that you need professionals who do the work of church. And the rest of us, we just come and pay you to do it. That, that's completely foreign to God's word. And so what I want you to know is that disciple making is an act of modeling. And that modeling is done by those who are not professionals at it. It's done by those who are empowered by the spirit. So do you have the spirit? Yes. Then you're qualified. That's the qualification for making a disciple. In fact, I want you to see this type of informality that's used by Jesus. Mark chapter 3. He appointed uh, 12. So that's the disciples that he's speaking to, minus Judas, right? He appointed 12. Why? That they might be with him. Don't skip over that. The appointment of his disciples was not... All right, class, glad that you've gathered here this morning. I can see by the time on the clock, we are ready to begin. Let us start. That is not what Jesus had in mind. You know what Jesus had in mind? We're, we're, we're going to go for a walk. Let's see, let's see who, we, who we can talk to today. You know what Jesus had in mind? Who, who's cooking dinner? Who, who's going to be serving one another? Let, let's be with each other. Let's do life together yeah. with one another. That is not formality. That's the opposite of it. That's informality. In fact, Jesus was so effective at passing on these informal values, which you need to understand is completely the opposite of the religious elite of Jesus' day. The religious elite taught that you needed to get certified. You needed to make sure that you were following after somebody who was already previously qualified before you have any ability to have leadership in Jesus's kingdom or in God's kingdom. Like that was the standard of Jesus's day. But Jesus was so effective at this informality that this is said in the book of Acts about the disciples. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were what's that word mean? I ain't done much schooling. Ain't never been much for book learning. They can, they can see that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note. Why were they astonished? Because these men had been with Jesus. I have a word for this. I I don't know if it's the right one, but it's the one I'm going to give you today. I'm calling it intentional informality. There is no version of my ability to instill in my son and daughter the values that we carry at home, if those values are only ever demonstrated in a formal setting. All right, children, come to the table. We shall learn what it means to be a flunker. (laughs) Oh, you get what I mean. You, You know what that person will do? If that's how it's demonstrated, they will compartmentalize whatever values are being taught with whatever standard or assessment, or institution for which it was received. It will never infect their lives. This was never Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is that disciple-making, it's done by how you model your life. It's done by how you live every day, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, for how you treat your spouse when things are good and when things are not good. For the way in which you divide up your money, not just church, I'm going to look how much I put in the plate. No, this is how you spend your money always. Every component of your life 
is intended by God to be a megaphone speaking to his transforming work every moment of your life. And so what you and I cannot do is think that there is some effective chance of making a disciple that's done in a classroom. It is done in backyards around barbecues. It is done beside water coolers and lunch breaks. That's where disciples begin. Now, as much as, and I hope you're tracking with me on this, as much as that is true, I do not want to say that there is some inherent evil in ordered learning. There isn't. We should have ordered learning. But do not mistake that for making a disciple. You'll make a convert, no doubt, but you will not make a disciple. A disciple needs to be one who has seen all of their life modeled after following Jesus that have not graduated for a sense of professionalization. And I'm calling that intentional informality. You guys get what I mean by intentional, right? This has to be how you choose to live your life around those that you're making into disciples. And it cannot be in the um, context of a classroom. It has to be in everyday life. Amen with that? What do you think? Yeah. Okay. All right. So how do we do this? Right? I, I get it. I'm on board. I understand that's what this verb means to make disciples. How do I do that? Number one, you got to follow Jesus. You, you will be useless as an agent of instilling the righteousness of God for the expansion of his kingdom. You will be useless if you are not first and foremost following the risen savior that's where it starts that's where it begins um, a couple uh, weeks ago on vacation we were traveling back through denver uh, a year or two ago i did a wedding in denver and um we were having lunch at at like a shopping center they had there cherry creek mall where uh where i had been before and so when i took my wife and kids who have never been there before i remembered where to go they had this great little greek restaurant that was there totally remember right where it was None of my family like Greek food. <laughs> so when we're there, I led us right where we needed to go. How was I able to lead? How was I able to do that? Because I had already been there. You, you will not lead your children, your grand, you won't lead anybody unless you are firm, foremost walking that path of following Jesus. You're going to be useless for this. Therefore, you need, you need to be learners. You need to be students. You and I, we need to be pupils and followers. Because it's only disciples who make disciples. Amen. Ask me to teach you French. <laughs> I don't know French. So guess what I can't teach? Can't teach French. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Then you can teach. Then you can lead. Then you can make a disciple there. So it starts there. Um, I want to give you uh, two ways of doing this. Because this, this is the big one. The, the first of how do, how do I follow Jesus? Well, you, you must allow Jesus to repurpose your life. All of us enter into a corruption. You and I were born into a world of depravity. 
And that work of depravity is going to take whatever unique bent that you and I have and will amplify it towards serving self. That's the world that we're in. Jesus will come and he'll say, and this is awesome. Let me just show you the verse. We read it already, Matthew 4, right? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. What were these guys doing? Fishing. Fishing. Raise your hand if you like fishing. What what do you do with your phone when it rings while you're fishing? What phone? That's right. I I, I can't be bothered right now, Rabbi. We're fishing. They they were invested in what the world had allowed for the service of their own careers. And Jesus says what? Come, follow me. But watch what he says next. And I will make you servants of the arduous task of disciple making. Is that what he says? You're going to stay fishermen, but you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You get the point? You see what Jesus does? Jesus is going to take that way in which you find joy and excitement and love in this world. But when you bring your life to Jesus, he repurposes it. He retools it. Not so that you become this otherworldly alien doing something that you never, ever did before. But now you can do the same type of thing, but redeemed to serve him. Right? If they were mechanics, Jesus would have said, you were fixers of cars, I'm going to make you fixers of men. Right? Think of whatever your career is. What is that thing that you'd love to do? That thing that I just, I just love to do. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. It means you take that and you say, all right, God, this is what I've been good at. This is what I've been trained for. I need you to reorient it. I need you to repurpose it. Take it and remold it. So that it will be used for you. By the way, if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to make a disciple. You may actually not even be following Jesus. Uh, In fact, this goes so far that even Peter, whose name isn't Peter. What did they call him? Simon Barjona, right? So Simon is his name. Jesus is the one who comes. This is in John's gospel. He says, oh yeah, we're going to call you something else. We're going to call you Rocky. Cephas in Aramaic, Peter, Petros in Greek, right? We're going to call you Rocky. Jesus doesn't just repurpose Peter's own desires. He takes all of him, repurposes his whole life. I'm going to call you something new. All right, third and lastly, you, you must be willing to sacrifice. There's no version of obeying God There's no version of following in submission to Jesus's great commission unless you are willing to make some sacrifices. You know, you you will instead, you'll sit right at your desk while someone else tries to figure it out on their own. You have to be willing to sacrifice. In fact, we saw this in that very next passage. Amy read it for us this morning. It was was the last two verses. It says, going on from there. So he's, he's got... He's got Peter and he's got Andrew. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. There's there's a lot that's going on in that little sentence. This means probably these two young men were the first in line to inherit this this fishing organization, Zebedee Industries, because what are they doing? They're working with their dad in the boats, 
They're not just fishing for a good time. What are they doing? They're, fi- they're fixing the nets. Right? These guys are at work. They are going to inherit this, at that time, what would have seemed like a multi-million dollar business from their father. All they got to do is put in their time. Dad's going to get tired eventually and then we're in charge. Right, James? Says John. But what does Jesus do? He calls them. Hey, come follow me. And what do they do? Immediately, they left the boat and their father. And they followed him. How long does it take you? What's the text say here for a time? Immediately. That, that, that humbles me. I don't know about you, but that humbles me. Sometimes it takes me a little while. Sometimes it takes me a little processing to be like, all right, Lord, I don't know how to, how to be a missionary here, but because here's all the reasons why I can't do it. All right, I, I, the, are, do you like me at all? You got a bunch of reasons why it's not going to work? I mean, how am I going to get the money? It's not going to work. I'm, I don't know the people there. I don't even know why I would go. I have no reason to go. So, do you know what the real problem is? I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I'm not willing to sacrifice. And so for, for you and I, what does this mean? Two forms of sacrifice. You need to sacrifice from yourself. This is them leaving their nets. They left what would have been their inheritance. It also means a sacrifice for the sake of others. So it's not just a sacrifice from what's mine. It's a sacrifice for the betterment and the good of others. Did everybody see how that sacrifice is, the arrow's pointed in two directions? One of the arrows of that sacrifice is pointed into what you need to let go. And the other sacrifice is what the other person gains. For me this week, it was spending an hour on the driveway basketball court with Sadie. And hope for you, it means following Jesus wherever he leads. I'm going to close and leave you with these words from Mark 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Make sure the disciples hear this. Come here, you guys. You got to hear this. And said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's make sure that you and I, in listening to the command of our Savior, understand the great treasure it is to be handed the flashlight and to go out there and shine the light for all those around you. Amen? Let's pray together.